Hello, cyberpunks. I'm your host, Lupus, and welcome to our cyberpunk podcast, where we discuss various cyberpunk media. With me today, we have Barry. Hello. Grim. Who is muted. Uh, and Tilly. Howdy. And there may be more joining as the uh, show progresses. Yes, that's what I was about to say. All right, so today we're discussing uh, the 2004 novel The Supernaturalist by Owen Colfer, author of the Artemis Fowl series. Uh, Published by Puffin in the UK and Miramax in the US, this book has a variation in length. The UK version is 290 pages, and the US version is 267. There's also a 129-page graphic novel that was uh, released in July of 2012. Mm. Now, this isn't your typical cyberpunk novel, but let's see how off the market is with our plot summary. And with Um, that, I will add spoilers to the text entry field. Yes. Once I see it's off, I will start reading. All right. Um, The Supernaturalist takes place in Satellite City, a large city in an unspecified location in the Northern Hemisphere in the third millennium. Much of Satellite City is controlled by the satellite owned by uh, the Maishi Corporation. By the time of the novel, however, the satellite is losing links to the surface, causing disasters that range from mild to catastrophic. The book opens with an introduction to Cosmo Hill, an orphan at the Clarissa Frayne Institute for Parentally Challenged Boys. Uh, At this institute, the boys are used for product testing and the institute gets paid. On a trip back from a a record company, the truck transporting them crashes. Cosmo and a friend, Francis, a.k.a. Ziploc, sorry, Ziploc, uh, manage to escape the wreckage, but are pursued by a warden from the institute. The chase takes them to the rooftops, where Cosmo and Ziploc fall into a wrecked generator. Ziploc is electrocuted, but Cosmo survives, albeit with multiple critical injuries, including several broken bones and a heart which begins to shut down. Um, He begins seeing small blue creatures around him. When one lands on his chest and begins sucking his life out, three figures appear out of nowhere and kill the creature. Although the teens want to leave him, Cosmo begs them to take him with them, pleading to not be left to be eaten by the strange blue beings. The uh, the group labels him a spotter, and after some argument, takes him along um, as he passes out. Cosmo wakes up in a warehouse to find his injuries being mended including a cast on his leg and a steel plate in his head to heal his fractured skull. One of the group, the the teenager and ex-mechanic Mona Vasquez, introduces herself. 
and tells Cosmo about the other two. Stefan Bashkir, uh, who's another teen, he used to be a cop before an accident killed his mother and almost killed him. And Lucien Bon, nicknamed Ditto to his habit of repeating what people say. Now, Bon is what's called a Bertoli baby. He was, uh, uh, or, sorry, lost my place. Uh, Bon had gene splicing experiments performed on him as a baby to produce a superhuman. However, these experiments did nothing except stunt his growth, making Ditto appear six in spite of his true age of 28. <clears throat> Mona reveals that the creatures, called parasites, can only be seen after near-death experiences or several tra severe trauma. <clears throat> Brain's reading faster than my mouth can. Uh, Stefan can see them from his accident as a policeman. Uh, Mona can see them from a car crash in which Stefan saved her after her gang left her for dead, and Ditto can see them as a result of the gene splicing experiments. Their group, the eponymous uh, supernaturalists, attempts to save people from the life-sucking parasites by destroying as many of them as they can. Cosmo is left to recover and is eventually included in the group after proving his worth by saving Mona. One night, the supernaturalists stalk out a drag race as the potential for fatal crashes and parasites is large. Uh, however, one of the cars is a prototype stolen from the Maishi Corporation, who track it down and send a squad of paralegals or hit lawyers, to take it back. In the following firefight, Cosmo and Stefan are captured by Maishi. They are taken to Ellen Faustino, the president of Maishi, who reveals herself to be a spotter. She says that the energy discharged by the parasites is forcing the satellite into an incorrect orbit and causing it to fall out of the sky. She also reveals that the method the supernaturalists are using to kill the parasites is only causing them to reproduce faster, increasing the problem with the satellite. After some discussion, she reveals that she has a plan to kill the parasites. They uh, detonate an electro uh, electrical bomb in the parasite hive that contaminates them and eventually kills them. However, she doesn't know where the hive is and sets the supernaturalist to find the hive. After, um, well, several dead ends, Cosmo hits upon the idea to use the satellite to scan for the parasite hive. However, due to an extremely long wait time to get a space on the satellite, they take an illegal spaceship up to do the scan themselves, and find that the hive is under uh, Clarissa. For find the hive is under Clarissa Frame. Cosmo and Stefan take the electric bomb to the hive under the orphanage and detonate it. Although the bomb doesn't kill any humans, it shorts out the building's security, allowing the orphans to leave. 
while Cosmo and Stefan are out, Mona discovers Ditto communicating with the parasite. When Cosmo, Stefan, and Mona confront him about it, Ditto claims that the parasites don't take life force, only pain. Not knowing what to believe anymore, Stefan orders Ditto to be out by the next day, but the Maishi paralegals capture them all that night. While imprisoned, Faustino reveals the suit to the supernaturalists that the bombs didn't kill or bomb didn't kill the parasites, it merely stunned them. And that she captured them to use for her own purposes. Oh wow, evil corporation person. Who would have guessed? Uh, she also tells Stefan that she was the accident that or she was the one that caused the accident that killed his mother. It was part of an experiment experiment to create a spotter. After escaping an acid trap intended to kill them, the group reaches a lab with parasites controlled by, uh, contained beneath the floor. Stefan is shot by a sniper higher in the room, and President Faustino reveals herself. She tells them that the parasites can be used to scrub energy. And she's using the parasites to make a clean nuclear reactor to keep the satellite up. The satellite wasn't falling because of parasites, but because it had too many attachments on it. After provoking and distracting her, Stefan uses some of his remaining strength to grab onto Faustino in a dead man's grip, and when the sniper attempts to shoot him again, he lets his knees buckle, causing the bullet to miss him and break the, uh, break the parasite's containment cell. The parasites take Stefan's pain from him as he dies, and Cosmo, and Mona, Cosmo, Mona, and Ditto escape. The book ends with the rest of the supernaturalists getting ready for a fight against unspecified other supernatural creatures, and the mayor of Satellite City sends Faustino to Antarctica to continue working on a nuclear plant. It's also hinted that Mona and Cosmo are beginning to become more open with their feelings for each other. So that was the plot for The Supernaturalist. Now I'm going to move on to our discussion, and this is going to be quite a bit um, before I finish and let you guys give your two cents. First of all, have any of you read this book not yet negative i'm pretty sure graham hasn't mm. nope all right so um this book was one of if not my first four way into cyberpunk i checked it out at one of the libraries at one of the schools i went to and i don't remember which one but I remember I wasn't able to finish it before I had to return it. Time went on, and I forgot the name, but I remembered that cover. And I tried to describe that cover for the librarians, and they just looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> as people do. And um, finally, one day, I was passing a shelf, and I just see out of like the corner of my eye the side of the book with the green text that says supernaturalist and i'm like wait a moment so i pull the book off the shelf and i see that cover and i'm like yes this is the book <laughs> this is the one i was looking for for years mm. so um i 
ended up checking out that book and finished it. Uh, and then for this episode specifically, I purchased a copy of the graphic novel through the Apple Books app. Mm. This is not an advertisement for them. I'm just saying that's what I used. Hashtag not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hashtag don't we wish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> From the very beginning, we can see some cyberpunk elements. You see hover cars, uh, satellite-controlled mega cities, evil corporations, replacements of body parts. And parasitic um, amoebic smurfs. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> well... Not actually parasitic, but that's what they were believed to be. Mm. But you also see, uh, you see like the human experimentation. You see, um, uh, personally, I really enjoyed the uh, hit squad of paralegals. Mm. Which, if you've ever seen a solo in cyberpunk, you yeah. think that, but um lawyer <laughs> yeah um anyway so i feel like this book kind of answers the question well what happens in a cyberpunk world where orphans aren't on the street like orphans don't grow up doing odd jobs on the street running drugs and whatever else getting into gang life they're at a school. They're hmm. at school. Um, and it turns out the answer is product testing. Yep, product testing. From shampoo and toothpaste to raincoats and even cures for malaria. These orphans that are unfortunate enough to grow up in an orphanage instead of on the streets are human guinea pigs. Um, but I also love the uh, Bertoli baby idea. The uh, gene spliced baby to make it superhuman. Mm. I thought that was a really fun ad. But, um, like I said, not exactly super cyberpunk, and it doesn't really contribute a whole lot, but it kind of blends cyberpunk and fantasy kind of well. Mm. Um, Barry, Graham, tell me what are your guys' thoughts? Um, just based on what, uh, your plot synopsis says, um, I don't know, uh, if I can watch the movie, I might be interested in doing that, but that's about it. It is not a movie yet. Ah. Tilly? I said it sounds like it'd be worth a read. Read. Um... Not much really I can add. I, I like the I I like the author's take on it. That's definitely a different method than we've seen in most cyberpunk media. Agreed. So uh, when you found the book again on the shelf, and uh, you had the revelation of ah, this is it. Uh, I have a similar story when we get to Snow Crash in uh, the not-too-distant future. All right. So well, if you're listening, we're... watch if uh, you've got a backlog. Look farther ahead for Snow Crash. If it's already uploaded, there you go. My story's in that episode. If you don't see it yet, we've, we've yet to record it. 
or post it. Yeah. Depending on when you're watching this. Yeah. Um. I remember there was one more little <laughs> cyberpunk element I forgot to mention, but I don't remember what it was. Oh. Um. So I'm just not going to worry about it. Um. <laughs> must not be that important. Uh, uh, I saw it as I was. It's got some importance. Um, if you're uh, listening or watching, um, maybe point out in the comments what's missing and. Uh, you know, um, for anyone else that's really interested in what we forgot, I'm sure somebody's already posted, and if they haven't and you know what it is, feel free to mention it. I would like to give you guys a fun fact, though. Yes. Uh, or a couple of them. So, the character Francis, a.k.a. Ziploc, mm -hmm. is called Ziploc because he won't shut the hell up. <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> He just, like, <laughs> they specifically state in the book that he just doesn't know when to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and he pretty much annoys all the uh, wardens at the school. All right, enough about me. What about the character? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cosmo Hill was named because named that because he was a unidentified child on Cosmonaut Hill. Makes sense. Found under a pizza box. Oh. So what's his middle name? Pepperoni? Hawaiian? <laughs> I have no idea. They didn't say Sausage Mushroom Onion? I will say <laughs> that in two thousand seven Owen Colfer announced that he was working on a sequel. Mm. Now, that's a long time. There's been years. absolutely nothing between then and now saying whether or not he's ever going to finish it. But, you know, it, it'd be nice to see what happens. Hey, Barry, the middle name is Cheese. <laughs> but, um... So, any other any other thoughts on how this book relates to cyberpunk? How, um, if anything, it adds to cyberpunk? Um, it might be more. Uh, it might be a lot easier to to identify that stuff if I'd actually read the book myself. This is true. So I'll just say I don't know and pass. Yeah, I, I've got a pass for that as well. Other than saying it, 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 I, it makes me want to read that book. Yeah. Grim. Yeah, I think I'd want to read. I read the graphic novel or the book. Um, <clears throat> well, like I said, we own the graphic novel now. So. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Lupus has a copy. You can always borrow it. It's just down the hall. It's definitely interesting, so. Alright, so, um... Like, I was, or like I've said, I don't think it really added much, but it's a great starting point for people if you're, like, if you're showing your kids 
cyberpunk and you kind of want to start them off with something a little more their level, this is the book to do it. Mm-hmm. Start that foundation and then let them slowly work their way up to more cyberpunk stuff from there as they age and get more content, you know, mm-hmm. available to them. I mean, uh, your mileage may vary. I saw Blade Runner before I was 10. Yeah, well, most parents aren't like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not have been able to handle Blade Runner that early. I wouldn't have understood it. <laughs> I didn't understand a lot of it that young, but uh, I did understand a bit. Like I said, I have the Living Dead when I was seven. Uh, so, I guess it's about time to wrap it up. I know it's only been like uh, 20 minutes or so. Um, I have almost exactly 21 minutes right now. Yep. So, um, shorter episode today, guys. Next week it'll be longer because we are going to discuss Johnny Mnemonic. Which Uh, uh, more of us have seen. Yes, Barry. Yes. Where can we find you? If you want more of me... Um, if you're watching this as a YouTube video, you're probably watching it on my YouTube channel. K-H-Z-H-A-K is, uh, the easy URL to find it. It has my name is the, uh, name of the channel. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's that. There's related channels on YouTube, um, where the related channels have D&D games and MMOs with my friends and other podcasts I'm on. Um, I also have a Twitch channel, but I do not stream myself as of this recording. Um, I have friends that stream content, and some of my friends, I'm actively involved in their content. So, uh, if you go to my channel and you see a related channel has content going, maybe I'm directly involved with that. Maybe they're just one of my friends that I'm hosting their channel. And I also have a Twitter with that username, and the uh, pinned tweet has links to adult content, so if you don't want that, don't click the links. Other than that, I generally try to keep my Twitter channel um, safe for work. Uh, There's a couple exceptions in the past, like six months, like two in the past six months are NSFW, but everything else I generally try to keep safe for work. Just uh, the pinned tweet links to NSFW. So keep that in mind. Um, other than that, uh, I guess that's enough about me. Who's next? Well, if you like, if you want to hear more of me, even though I, you didn't hear me much this episode, um, I am on YouTube as, as well at Melody's Place. Um, that's just uh, where you can find me. I host uh, Minecraft content, and it's mostly tutorials and. Uh, play so if it something sounds like you'd be interested you'd be interested in uh, look up melody's place on youtube and if you like any of any of the rest of us or just any of us in general we're also part of fml productions which we do a podcast called things for nothing we also do a uh, various D sessions and then we are currently in the process of creating an animation which we hope to have to you by the end of this year if not early next year um and there's more coming down the pike that we might that we might have forgotten about right now but it's still in the works 
Yes. We, if you want to interact with us, we do have a Twitter. It's, uh, well, interact with the podcast, this podcast specifically. It does have a Twitter. It is at Gen Cyberpunk Pod. That's G E N C Y B E R P U N K P O D. Uh, please feel free to hit us up there. You can send us an email at Generation Cyberpunk Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm in the process of making a Facebook page for this and uh, try and set up its own YouTube channel so we can kind of just streamline all our content there as well. And that's about it. So um, until next time, we will see you later, Cyberpunks.